0: To our Lord. The one that we often refer to Him as is Jesus. But I want you to know that from beginning to the ending of the Bible, from Genesis to Malachi and from Matthew all the way to the book of Revelation, we see numerous names given to Him. The Bible records Him as being the second Adam. The Bible calls Him the Advocate. The Bible calls Him Almighty. Almighty. Alpha and Omega. The book of Revelation calls him the Amen. The Bible refers to him as the Apostle of our profession, the arm of the Lord. He is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. He is the author of eternal salvation. He is the beginning of the creation of God. He is the blessed Son. He is the blessed and only potentate. He is the branch. He is the bread of life. He is the captain of salvation. He is the chief shepherd. He is the Christ of God. He is the consolation of Israel. We read about him being the cornerstone. Him being our greatest counselor. Him being our creator. Our dayspring. Our deliverer. He is the desire of nations. He said himself, I am the door. He said he is the elect of God, the Bible recalls. He is called the Everlasting Father. He is called the Faithful Witness. He is called the First and the Last. He is the First Begotten. He is the Forerunner. He is the Glory of the Lord. The Bible calls Him God. The Bible calls Him God-blessed. The Bible calls him the good shepherd. The Bible calls him governor, the head of the church. Sometimes we might think we're the head of the church, but the Bible calls Jesus the head of the church. He is the heir of all things. He is the holy child. 2,000 years ago when Mary held baby Jesus in her hands, she was literally holding the holiest child this world has ever seen. He is called the holy one, the holy one of God, the horn of salvation. He is called the great I am. He is the image of God. He is called Emmanuel, God with us. He is Jehovah. He is Jesus. He is Jesus of Nazareth. He is the judge of Israel. He is the just one. The Bible calls him king. The Bible calls him king of the ages. The Bible calls him the king of the Jews. The Bible calls him the king of kings. The Bible calls him the king of saints. He is the lawgiver. He is the Lamb. He is the Lamb of God, slain before the foundation of the world. He is leader. He is commander. He is life, and only life is found in Him. He is light, and He is the light of the world. He is a lion of the tribe of Judah. He is Lord over all. He is Lord of glory. He is Lord of lords. He is Lord of our righteousness. He is man of sorrows. The Bible says he is the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The Bible calls him the messenger of the covenant. The Bible calls him Messiah, mighty God, mighty one, morning star. He was called a Nazarene. He is the only begotten son of God. He is our Passover. He is the prince of life. He is the prince of kings. He is the Prince of Peace. He is that great prophet. He is our great Redeemer. He is resurrection and the life. He is the rock, and we call him the Rock of Ages. Cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. He is the root of David, the rose of Sharon. He is our Savior. He is from the seed of a woman. He is the great shepherd and bishop of our souls. He is the son of the blessed, the son of David, the son of God, not a son of God, but the son of God, the son of the highest, the son of righteousness. He is the true light. He is the true vine. He is the true truth. He is the true witness, the true word of God. That is Jesus. But our passage today extends another aspect about what we call him. In light of everything the Bible describes him and calls him, here in these three verses, and then going into chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and even in chapter 10, we see a common theme that Jesus Christ is the great high priest. And that is the title of my sermon today. Jesus Christ is the great priest. High Priest. So far in the book we've we've read about how Jesus in chapter 1, he is greater than every prophet, greater than Elijah, greater than Jeremiah, greater than Isaiah, greater than Ezekiel, greater than any prophet that the Bible records in the Old Testament. The Bible tells us in chapter 1 of Hebrews that Jesus is greater than every angelic being that's ever existed or ever will exist. The Bible says in chapter 3 that Jesus is greater than Moses. The Bible says in chapter 4, as we studied last time, that Jesus is greater than the Old Testament character called Joshua. And now we see the writer transitioning and revealing to us one of the pivotal and, and prestigious characters in the Old Testament was the high priest. And we see that there was no high priest from Aaron to Caiaphas that compared to Jesus Christ. Because he is the great high priest. And that brings me... verse 14. And in verse 14, I begin by sharing one of three thoughts today about Jesus being our high priest. As I read verse 14 and trying to understand this and unpack it and just make it applicable to our lives today, here's what I wrote down first of all. We can hold fast to our profession because Christ is our high priest. We can hold fast to our profession because Christ is our high priest. Let's read verse number 14. It says, Seeing then, remember, he just elaborated about the word of God. Remember in verse 12? Remember how in, in chapter 3 he speaks about the hardening of man's heart? And listen, we all have hardened hearts and callous hearts toward the word of God. And there's times that we don't want to hear God's word. Why don't we want to hear it? Because God's word puts man on the execution stand. And what it does is it brings conviction down to the deep of our souls. And that's why man doesn't like God's Word. That's why the Bible is the most persecuted book of all time. And at the same time, the most read and best sold book of all time. Because in spite of the fact that God's Word pierces our hearts, we desperately, certainly need this book that we're holding. And so he says, seeing then that God's Word is able to pierce through the hardened heart of man, he says we have a great high priest. You see, chapter 3, chapter 4 lets us know about the bad news. That, hey, you're nothing but a dirty, stinking, rotten, filthy sinner. And so am I. But verses 14, on it, it opens the, the windows and the doorways of the encouraging truth that in spite of our sinful nature, we have a one called Jesus who can help us overcome this sinful nature. And it says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. Would you say profession with me? Profession. Say it again please. Profession. And one more time. Profession. This word It literally means a confession. So we often say that somebody has professed to know Christ as Savior or they have confessed to know Christ as Savior. Paul said that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we shall be saved. So the word confess is used there. And here the word profess is used. And they give the same meaning. They're synonyms. Today I just want to share with you a threefold confession that I wrote down. And I hope that you can make this your confession too. My first confession is this. I confess Jesus Christ is my great high priest. I confess that Jesus Christ is my great high priest. May I take you back to the Old Testament? May I take you back to the Levitical law and the law of Moses? And there we read in those chapters about a high priest named Aaron. Even Leviticus, excuse me, and Exodus and Deuteronomy. The whole law of Moses we we see at some point... Aaron is mentioned, and Aaron became known as that high priest, and, and there he would go in once, and once a year, the Bible talks about the, the, the duty of the high priest. They would go into the temple or the tabernacle, just depending on the, the context and season of, of Israel's past, and, and there they'd march into that holiest of holy places, and we are told that they would tie a rope at the ankle of the high priest, because if he did one thing that was not precisely recorded in Scripture, the Bible says he would be stricken dead by God. So God was very precise on how this was done. And so the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and there was the mercy seat, kind of like the altar of altars in the Old Testament. And there he would take blood from a lamb, unspotted and unblemished lamb. And there he would would take that blood and he would sprinkle it upon that altar to atone for his own sins. But that atonement wouldn't last but for one year. And so every year, Aaron would go in. And then every year, the next high priest would go in. And the next high priest, all the way up to Caiaphas, when Jesus stands before Caiaphas. Every year, time and time again, they go in. And they first atone for their sins, because before the servant of God can minister to the people of God, he has to have a clean heart before Almighty God. And then he would transition and pour the blood on behalf of the congregation of Israel. All this would typify one day when Jesus would leave his heavenly throne and he would tabernacle amongst humanity, but still being clothed with divinity. And there he he was driven to that cross that we read about. And there it was in that moment 2,000 years ago when Jesus paid the penalty for my sins, your sins, and the sins of the entire world. So there he died for adultery. There he died for pornography. There he died for for murder. There he died for theft. There he died for sex. He died for it all, the Bible says. And here the Bible says that in what Aaron and the high priest that followed Aaron could not do only Jesus could do and he died there on the cross the the gospels record that the moment he died you remember what happened to the temple the veil of the temple was torn into and so the holy of holies was no longer in that temple or tabernacle it was there on that cross when Jesus poured out his blood for humanity for you and me And now, we don't have to go into the tabernacle. We don't have to pour and sprinkle and kill and do that year after year. Because Jesus did it once and for all. You see, Jesus' death was sufficient in such a way that there's never a need for any other sacrifice. So I confess, Jesus Christ is my great high priest. And as we move forward, and by the way, the word have, it's in present tense. So it's not like I used to. It's not like one day I will have. But it's like in this exact moment right now as I'm speaking to you and for the rest of my life as a child of God, he is actively working on my behalf as my high priest. Interceding between me and God the Father so that I can have a right position in standing before him. But the verse moves on in verse number 14. And it says that it is passed into the heavens. Here's what I wrote down. I confess Jesus Christ is my sovereign Lord seated on his heavenly throne. I confess Jesus Christ is my sovereign Lord seated on his heavenly throne. I like how the Bible uses the word translated when it comes to Enoch the Bible says that there's two characters in the Old Testament that lived such a life that they did not die, and one of them was Enoch. And in the early chapters of the book of Genesis, the Bible says that Enoch was translated. And what that means is this version of this life, he was translated into a version of the next life, and that version is going to be a lot better than this version. Because that version is not contaminated by sin. It is unharmed and untamed by the effects of the fallen nature of man. And it's interesting, whenever... God, translate from this spot to another one, He always makes it better. And so He gives us, in a sense, a glorified body in a day to come. But, but I need you to understand this, that, that Jesus, he, he, tr- was, he transitioned and was translated through the portals of the sky and through the outer space and then through a place we call heaven where God's throne is. We read in the New Testament, the Bible says he's seated at the right hand of God the Father. And it's just a figure of speech to know that Jesus is on his throne. But the question is this. Jesus might be the throne in all the world, controlling and orchestrating everything out to accomplish His sovereign will. But my question for all of us today is this. Even though He is on His throne in glory and in heaven, is He on the throne ruling and reigning in your heart today? So can you confess He is seated on His heavenly throne and on your throne of your heart? Then the verse goes on. It says, Jesus, the Son of God. I confess that Jesus Christ is not a Son of God, but Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Remember what the Ethiopian eunuch said? He said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God in Acts chapter 8, verse 37. He declared that Jesus Christ was exactly who he said he was that he was predicted in time past by the prophets, and he would be the Messiah that would come through a young woman who happened to never know a man sexually, and then she would give birth to this Messiah by the Holy Spirit, and then this Messiah would live a sinless life and die in our place. And whenever he was described as the Son of God, the people were calling him God in the flesh. So do you believe that he's who he said he was? What we believe about Jesus Christ is the most important question of all. You might believe he was a great man of yesterday, and and he was. You might believe he was a great prophet, and you know he was. You might believe that he was a great religious leader that left a mighty impact on this earth, and that many books have been written about him, many songs have been written about him, and that... Tales have been told, and you might just think that he is just a figure of yesterday, that uh, just a great figure. But I submit to you today that he's more than just an ordinary man. He was the God-man, 100% God, yet at the same time 100% man. 100% clothed with, with humanity, but at the same time 100% clothed with divinity. And there he, he, he came, and he did what no other man can do, and that has become our high priest. And here it leads us to really the point of verse number 14. It says, let us hold fast our profession. He says, because we have a high priest, because he's in the heavens, and because he's the son of God, we can hold fast to it. Hey, He said, guys, hey, I know that you're being challenged and tempted and and tested and tried to, to, to forsake the the grace of Jesus Christ, and go back to the Old Testament law. But you don't have to do that because we can hold fast because he is the Son of God. He's in the heavens and he is our high priest. He's greater than Aaron. And today, we are tempted sometimes to even though we profess and confess Jesus as our high priest and that he is Lord of our lives and he is our, our Savior, the Son of God, there's times that we are tempted and tested and tried To go back to our old sinful life. But we can stand firm. Because we stand on a foundation that shall never be shaken. Jesus Christ. We can hold fast to our profession. Because Christ is our high priest. But now may I draw your attention to verse number 15. Would you look at this verse with me? In fact, let's read this verse. I like this verse. In fact, this is a... Somewhat of a controversial verse. In fact, I've discovered that all of the Book of Hebrews is controversial. In fact, I've discovered the whole New Testament is controversial. In fact, let's just take the whole Bible is controversial. <laughs> but we know that by the Spirit of God, and continuing to de- delve into God's Word, God can help illuminate our understanding. And so, verse fifteen it says, "For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities." Then it says but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I read on secondly. We can overcome temptation because Christ is our high priest. We can overcome temptation because Christ is our high priest. You see, if he can allow us to be anchored and settled in our salvation, and we can have assurance, then surely if he's able to save us to the uttermost, then and as one preacher said, from the guttermost, he can surely give us the strength and capability to overcome our temptations. Notice verse 15, it talks about, it says, that we this high priest, you cannot touch him like you touched Aaron. You cannot touch him like you touched Caiaphas. He says, you cannot touch this guy. And here it gives, I believe it gives the idea that this this is... Not an earthly high priest, but the heavenly high priest. And then, I guess really the controversial part is, it says that he was in all points, tempted like as we are, yet without sin. I remember years ago, when, when I first became a believer, and, and I started really studying the Bible when I was in high school, and reading it, and, and studying it, and diving in, I, I was asked this question, There's a question that I've continued to meditate on and ponder and think about and dwell on. Could Jesus Christ have sinned? It's a tough question. In the theology world, we call it the impeccability of Christ. Because Here's a thought. If Jesus would have lied, he would have ceased from being the Son of God. If Jesus would have sinned, he would have not been able to accomplish what his divine will was to do. So I've come to this conclusion, that it was not in Jesus' vocabulary to ever sin, because he was God in the flesh. However, the Bible does say that in every point, in all points, like when one preacher said, he said, all means all, and that's all all means. And here I believe it really does mean all. It means in every way that we are tempted and tried and tested, Jesus was tempted, yet he did not yield, he did not stop, he did not give in to the temptation to sin. We read in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus was, was just finished fasting for 40 days and 40 nights and there Satan comes and he brings him a stone and says, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, turn this stone to bread. And he said, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. He takes him to the highest point of the temple and he says, Hey, hey, why don't you take, jump off of here and save yourself? And he says, I'm not going to do that. Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. And he says, hey, if you, I'm going to take you to this place. You'll see all the worlds, everything in it. And I'll give it all to you if you just bow down and worship me. And he says, I will only worship the Lord God. We see that when Jesus, was, when Jesus encountered the temptation by Satan himself, that Jesus used the word of scripture to combat, to combat the, the enemy and his tactics. So, there's a song out there, and it says, this is how I fight my battles, and it's the weird, weirdest song I've ever tried to sing in my life. I can't figure out what, what are we doing to fight our battle. The battle does not say that we're going to praise our way through the battle. The battle doesn't say we're going to pray our way through the battle. In fact, I believe that the way we overcome the battles that the enemy fights us, sure, singing praises might help and praying might help, but the way we combat the s- Satan is through the word of Scripture. You see, the Bible says here that it's able to pierce a heart and heart. If it's able to pierce our stony heart and heart, then surely it can pierce through Satan and his devices. And here's what I wrote down: Christ can help us overcome our mental weaknesses. This word "infirmities" it gives the idea of weakness. The word "tempted" it means tested, tried, and or tempted. And he did all this without sinning. So, if Christ overcame the mental battle in our minds, then surely he can give us the capability to do the same. And by the way, the battle in the spiritual war begins inside of our minds, not on our tongues and not on our actions. In fact, Paul said, let's think on good things, let's think on pure things, let's think on holy things, things that are just. In fact, the more of the Word of God we put in our minds, the more we'll dwell upon the Word of God and the more we'll be able to pull out God's Word, His sword of the Word and fight against the powers of darkness. But maybe the reason why the modern church and most Christians today are giving in to temptation is because they're not putting in the Word of God into their lives. We say, yes, I believe in Jesus, yes, he's my high priest, yes, he's the Lord of my life, yes, he's the Son of God, but I'm going to neglect to read God's Word. If we do that, then we're not going to have the mental capability. We're not going to have the mental strength to do it. And only through Christ are we able to do that. Then Then it bleeds over to this. Christ can also help us overcome our physical weaknesses. So when we struggle mentally and we struggle physically, that is when that temptation, when we begin to 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 think and to dwell upon those simple thoughts, it transitions into actions. And and the Bible says that we are, when not only can we overcome that mental state, see, listen, you do not control what pops into your mind, but what you do control is what you meditate upon in your mind. And then the more we meditate on something, the more we're gonna live it out. And so if we continue to meditate upon the things of the flesh, then we're gonna live out the things of the flesh. That's why the Bible says, walk in the spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then, he can help us overcome mental, physical weaknesses, but then also spiritual. It's all a spiritual battle. So Christ can help us overcome our spiritual weaknesses. Everything we go through in life, it is spiritual. And because Jesus overcame, he can give us the power. He can give us the capability to do the same. There has no temptation taken you, but that which is common to man. But God is able. Paul said God is able to bring us through it. May I now draw your attention to verse 16? So far in verse number 14, we talked about how we can hold fast to our profession because Christ is our high priest. We've talked about how we can overcome temptation because Christ is our high priest. But then I want to draw your attention really to my favorite verse here so far in the book of Hebrews is verse 16. And it says, let's read it together. It says, let us therefore boldly come unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Here's the third thought I wrote down. We can boldly pray with expectation because Jesus is our high priest. We can boldly pray with expectation because Jesus is our high priest. As I was meditating in this verse here, I began to think about an Old Testament character. No, it wasn't the prophets, such as Elijah or Jeremiah. No, it wasn't Gabriel or Michael. It wasn't Moses. It wasn't Joshua And it was not Aaron that came to my mind as I read verse 16. In fact, it wasn't even a man that came to my mind. It was a woman in the Old Testament. Instantly, the Holy Spirit brought this character to my mind. Esther's life is a life full of great boldness and courage. And there's four main characters in the book of Esther. You have Esther, Mordecai, King Ahasuerus, and Haman. And we read about how Mordecai and Esther were Jewish people living in a Gentile nation. And Haman devised a plot to exterminate the Jews. And that is nothing new. It seems like generation after generation after generation, some other person comes on the scene and is trying to exterminate the Jewish people. And perhaps the reason why is because they are God's chosen people that God chose many, many moons ago. And he still is going to fulfill out promises that he gave to them that he's yet to fulfill. But anyways, we see that Haman wanted to kill them all. And he made up this huge plan to do it. And he was going to get the king's blessing. And you know, as, as Pastor Dave was sharing a few moments ago, we don't have Donald Trump's cell phone digits. I don't have his Snapchat. I cannot send him a message. In fact, I cannot go into the White House and just say, What's up, Donald? Hey, I got a question for you. I can't say that. In fact, there's a fortified fence around the White House, and then security surveillances, and then a security team there, to where if you try to do something crazy, you will enter into eternity. (laughs) Just as we can't march into the Oval Office and demand a question and, and a response by our president, it was the same way with Esther. You see, they had a palace, not a White House, but a big palace. And there she could not enter into the court of the king without permission and an appointment. And she called Mordecai and said, hey, I want you all to pray. I want you all to fast. And and hey, I don't know what's going to happen in in the future. But but listen, I've got to do this because my people's lives depend upon it. And if I perish, I'm going to perish. She said, if I die, I'll die on this hill. She wanted her people to be rescued from this horrific plan. And she walks into the king's palace. And by the way, Esther was the kind of woman that was just blessed genetically. (laughs) She was the type of woman that when she walked down the street, everybody's eyes turned to her because she was so beautiful. And I believe that God specifically made her so beautiful because that one day God could use that beauty to gain favor in the eyes of the king. And so as she marches into the king's court, there the king's eyes are fastened upon her. She comes down. And he asks, how can I help you? And ultimately, she pleaded with the king that he would save her people. I say that to say this, that King Ahasuerus or President Trump do not compare to the king of kings. You see this king that we have, we can, the Bible says, because Jesus is our high priest, because he's in heaven, because he's the son of God, because he, he, he's a high priest that can't be touched with our, our hands and our infirmities, and, and he was in all points tempted like as we are, but he overcame and did not sin. And he says, let us therefore, because of all this, we can come boldly into the very presence of the throne of his gracious, majestic, sovereign throne. With courage, we can lift up our nation to God in prayer. If at ever a time we needed to pray for our culture, it's today. With the rioting, with the protesting, with with the pandemic or whatever you want to call it, whatever whatever's going on in the world with the diseases and the earthquakes and the fires and everything, we know that our world needs God now more than ever. And here, because because we can go straight in, we don't have to go through Aaron, we don't have to go through a priest, we don't have to go through any of that. We can go straight into the presence by kneeling down, lifting up our voices to God in prayer with great courage. But there's a few words I want to draw your attention to. The first one is mercy. Say mercy with me. Mercy. Say it again, please. Mercy. Here's how I, I think we can pray. How can we pray boldly? I wrote down this. Well, first of all, we can boldly pray with expectation because Jesus is our high priest. And then here's the thought. Boldly pray for God's merciful intervention. The word help, it means to aid. It means to offer assistance too. And we need God's aid. We need God's mercy now more than ever. You see, mercy is giving somebody something they do not deserve. You know what I deserve? And let me be frank. You know what you deserve? We all deserve total separation from God in the lake of fire forever and ever and ever and ever. Because our sin is so vile, so polluted in the eyes of God, but in His merciful kindness, He gives us mercy. And so right now we need to pray that God would extend His mercy just a few more years, maybe a few more days, And say, God, pour out your mercy upon America. God, pour out your mercy upon this continent. God, this world. God, send a revival of mercy here in this age. Every generation has their own battles. And today the battle that our generation is facing is pushing away the mercy of God more than ever. And we need to get on our knees and we need to be battling and praying and warring and saying, God, Push forward your mercy into this culture so that they can experience how amazing and how awesome you are. Then the word grace, say grace with me. Grace, say it again please, grace. Two times it calls this throne a throne of grace. But then it says to find grace. Have you ever lost something? We all have. Sometimes I'll take my phone and I'll, I'll play some music and I'll put it in my pocket or my back pocket and I'll just walk around and sometimes I have my headphones in and, and I'll think to myself, wow, I, I can't remember where I put my phone. I need to find my phone. So I begin searching for my phone and then the light bulb goes off and it's like, oh, it's, it's in my pocket. <laughs> you know, here sometimes we might pick up an old pair of pants and we put our, po- our hand in the pocket and we pull out a, a Mr. Benjamin, a $100 bill. That'd be great, right? <laughs> but I'm here to tell you something that You could find and stumble across a last will and testament that would leave you millions, but it would never compare to finding the grace of God. We sung about that a little while ago. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. That's right. We were once lost and now we're found and we were once blind and now we see. We need God's merciful intervention. And that leads me To this, boldly pray for God's gracious intervention. You see, mercy is giving somebody something they don't deserve, but grace is simply this. God extending his unmerited love and favor upon humanity. Grace is something that we cannot earn. The Bible says, for by grace we've been saved through faith. The Bible says that the grace of God has appeared to all men in Titus chapter 2. The Bible speaks about how amazing God's grace is and... The songwriter said, God's grace is amazing. But I want you to know this that we need God's grace. We need God to pour out His grace once again in this generation. We need a revival full of the grace of God in our churches and in our nation and in our cultures all across the world. You see, a lot of people ask the question why would a loving and gracious God send somebody to hell? It's the wrong question to ask. Here's the right question why? would God allow anybody into heaven? We are full of sin. Why would he want to let this wretched flesh into his divine, holy, sovereign, just presence? It's grace. You see, there's nothing in me, no amount of IQ, no amount of skill, craft, ability, nothing in me, worthy of God's grace. And before you get carried away, There's nothing in you either to to merit that love and grace. And so I stumbled across God's grace years ago as a 16-year-old young man. But have you experienced God's grace? Have you experienced God's mercy? And then check it out. It says to help in time of need. And here's what I wrote down. Boldly pray for God's benevolent intervention. We need to pray that God would send mercy, that God would send grace, but then that God would send His benevolence upon us. That God would just shower down His love and compassion toward us. Verse 16 is a powerful verse about prayer. This passage is a powerful passage about the great high priest. But my question for you is this. Is this great high priest? Yes, we know he's on his throne in heaven. Yes, we know he's done what he did on the cross and there we don't need a high priest. But he is the great high priest. But my question for you, is he your high priest? Can you say Jesus is my high priest? You know, I read about Robert Sheffy. He was a circuit rider preacher. Here, kind of in, in this area in Virginia, and in Tennessee, and this region of the country. And he traveled on horseback. This was the time before automobiles. And we are told in his biography, and what people have said about him, that he, he was not the most gifted speaker. That when he would get up and preach... He was no Billy Graham moving thousands to come to know Christ as Savior. But what God gifted him with was the ability to pray in a way that people like Billy Graham could not do. And so people would would often, instead of asking, Brother Sheffy, would you come and preach? They would say, Brother Sheffy, would you come pray for us? Because, listen, when you pray, things happen. (laughs) I wonder what could be said about us. When we pray, do, do things actually happen? Well, anyways, he oftentimes would, would get himself into some sketchy scenes. And he goes to this house and he heard about this, the town drunk. And he went into the town drunk's property and he goes up and he knocks on the door and the drunkard comes out, had a big distillery there making his liquor. And Sheffi began to share the gospel with them. And the drunkard was very hostile. Didn't want to hear it. Began to say, get out of my property, get off my land. And in that moment, Sheffi did something that he only could think to do. And he paused and prayed. And you see, the drunkard's house was, was we are told that whether this is true or not, I mean it's in the biography and in the in the movie that they made about him. So I assume it's true. But the drunkard's house was 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 right beside a large cliff. And Robert Sheffy began to pray and he prayed that God would send down a tree to smash his distillery. And the drunkard was laughing and mocking and scoffing and ridiculing him and said, <laughs> "That's never going to happen, Sheffy. Get out of here." Some time went by and it was a raging thunderstorm. I mean it thunderstormed like it's never stormed in that guy's life. And lightning struck a tree on the top of that cliff. (laughs) And that tree stumbled all the way down and landed on the drunkard's distillery. (laughs) Amazingly enough, that drunkard never drank another drop of liquor in his life and gave his life to Jesus Christ. Today, I just simply shared that story to say this. Is that the same boldness that Sheffy had, the same courage that Esther had, is the same that we can have when we march into the presence of God and we pray. Because he is our high priest. So I close with the, the question of the hour. Yes, Jesus Christ is the great high priest, but is he your high priest? Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to the Jumpstart Your Faith podcast channel. As a token of my appreciation for you listening today, I would like to give you my free ebook devotional called Jumpstart Your Faith 30 Days to a Renewed Faith in Christ. Just go to www.pastorbryanratliff.com to download it. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast channel to listen to more messages like today's. And if these messages have been helpful to you, please leave a review. If I could be of any help in your spiritual walk, please let me know by emailing me at pastorbrianratliff at yahoo.com. And one last thing, if you're in Roanoke, please consider joining us for one of our worship services at Clearbrook Baptist Church. Until next time, may God's blessings be upon you, and have a great week.